This is Jim Minion from Two Loose Screws. I'm listening to Barbecue Central. Let's go! Let's go! Do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. And welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is the show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. The barbecue capital of the North Coast. And Bomb City, USA. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening's live fire fun and provolity show. If you want to jump in the show this evening, here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at bbqcentralshow.com or on the Twitter and Instagrams at bbqcentralshow. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you can get the newsletter coming up in about 12 minutes from now. It is the first Tuesday of a month as we enter into quarter number two of 2022. And we'll be joined, of course, by the pitmaster of how to barbecue right and Killer Hogs barbecue competition team. As we continue what is now our third installment of a very private barbecue round table or barbecue class, if you will. Last month, we did brisket. The month before that, we did pork butt. And tonight, we learned all about chicken. So, while we will probably be talking mostly about pieces, where this will diverge quite substantially on the whole is in the backyard, people aren't just cooking chicken thighs like most people do in barbecue competitions, unless you do Texas-based competitions where that's a half chicken. But in traditional competition barbecue outside of Texas, you would find chicken thighs. There's a number of barbecue competition roundtables that I've done on previous versions of the show that talk specifically about competition chicken thighs and all that goes into that. So while I'm sure we'll be touching on thighs, we're not just going to be talking about thighs and thighs alone. There'll be all sorts of whole chicken talk and half chicken talk and quarters and preparation and internal temperatures and all this fun stuff. So this will be the third of what will be four months of private tutelage from one Malcolm Reed from How to Barbecue Right and Killer Hogs competition team. After Malcolm, we will be joined by a first-time guest. And friends, if you're like me, you're a big fan of the pepper mill or fresh cracked black pepper or whatever you want to call it. If you go to somebody's house and you see a salt shaker and a pepper shaker, 
that's the standard fare in most homes. But if you have a little bit of a pepper snob in your home, you might find that somebody buys a little bit more of a hoity-toity, already crushed pepper that makes it into the shaker. Or when you get to a different level altogether, stand by. Stand by. Okay. Um, or if you want to take it to a whole nother level of the game, you get the pepper mill. But has the pepper mill really changed over its life? Are you satisfied with your pepper mill? Have you ever asked your question, am I satisfied with this pepper mill? If you haven't, tonight we are going to throw a wrench in the whole pepper mill works. And I'm hoping you're going to be able to tune in live. If not, you're catching it on podcast 35 past the hour. We introduce you to the creator of Man Kitchen and that of the pepper cannon, Cleve Oynas, will be joining us. Cleve Oynas. We're going to be talking about a pepper mill that's going to blow your head off in a number of different ways. And if you've never thought about pepper mills or pepper grinders or whatever you want to call it, tonight we will force you to think about it at least once in your life. And if you don't have a pepper mill, we're either going to turn you way off to it tonight or we are going to motivate you to buy perhaps the only one you will ever need again in your life and perhaps your children's lives, and so forth. Much like buying a steel quarter-inch pit or bigger is a heirloom piece, this pepper mill perhaps could be considered an heirloom piece. You're wondering how I can be hyping up pepper milling to this degree in the show open. But believe me, I'm not over-tipping my hand here, so stay tuned for that. That'll close out the first hour, and then we'll wrap it up. Then we'll move to the second hour because it is the first Tuesday of a first month. And in the second hour, you know who that means we're getting a visit from. Sam, the cooking guy. Yes. What does that mean for you? Another round of what does Sam like best to lead off. We'll tell you how to do that here in a second. And we'll also talk a little bit about the Traeger Timberline XL that was released last Wednesday, but I already scooped that the day before. I actually knew about it way before then. But nevertheless... And then 35 past the hour closing the show is none other than the pitmaster of Mom and Papa Joe's Barbecue and a reserve grand champ at this year's Houston Livestock and Rodeo Barbecue Cook-Off, my pal CJ, Clarence Joseph. It's a big show. Malcolm Reed, Cleve Oynas, and then Sam the Cooking Guy and Clarence Joseph if you need it. Don't forget you can follow me socially, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and the Snaps. At BBQ Central Show for live video feed of the show. You can go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show. Also, a live video feed on YouTube slash RD Rempe. There's a live audio feed on the Clubhouse app as well. By the way, in the second hour, if you want to take part in that game show, What Is Sam Like Best? You have to be on the Clubhouse app in order to do that. That's how we get the guests to take part. So while you're listening to the show here in the first hour, if you don't already have it, Download it. It's free to everybody. Everybody has access uh, access to it. Then just search for the Barbecue Central or search for me. You'll see that we're streaming live right now and then jump in. And then the second hour, you can raise your hand and whoever's first, you'll jump on and we'll play the game for a fun and free prize to you from one of Sam's many offerings. It's very exciting. So I will, of course, give you that information top of the second hour before we get into it. And away we go. Let me start here tonight before we dive into some pretty entertaining listener feedback from emails over the course of the week. I want to thank Dave Parrish from Slow and Sear 
for sending me a complete grill and SNS setup that arrived over the weekend. I'll be doing a video of putting it together slash unboxing and then using it for the first few times. So I want to give Dave a big shout out. I look forward to using it. If you missed last week's conversation with Dave, go get in the podcast, learn a little bit about Slow and Sear, how it came to be, why it's a great tool, especially if you have a kettle cooker, and then peruse the website and see all the other offerings that he has besides the Slow and Sear. Very entertaining, very informative interview, and a very good website as well. So check him out, snsgrills.com. All right, listener feedback from last week's show. Jimmy in Texas writing in. Greg, listening to your opening rant on Traeger while I drink my Sunday morning coffee, and I can't help but think that if Traeger sponsored the show instead of Green Mountain Grill, you would be singing a different tune. In fact, you probably wouldn't be taking or talking all about this lawsuit. Maybe you should think about that. Love the show. Regards, Jimmy. Jimmy, I will think about that. Get that big stuff out of here. Taylor. In Virginia writing, Greg, no offense, but you're a hypocrite. Let me back out of this email right now. Taylor, what's one of the rules on this show? If you're going to come at me with potentially insulting words, just start right out of the gate with it. Don't lead in with the no offense, but because what we've learned in life is this. When you say, but... Everything you said before that, we're just throwing out the window. That's like, I love you, but. Well, everything you're going to say after that is going to prove that you probably don't love me. So anyway, Greg, no offense. You're probably going to offend me, but you're a hypocrite. You have a Traeger cooker on your patio that you've mentioned plenty of times, and now you have an issue with Traeger because they are messing with one of your sponsors. Do you have two razors to shave both of your faces? What? <laughs> I bet you still use that cooker too, don't you? Love the show. Regards, Taylor. Taylor, allow me to question your undying love for the show. And by the way, hell yes, I still use that thing. I love it. What I'm saying, Taylor, is it that I have any ill will or bad blood or contempt for the products of Traeger. The products are good. Way better than they ever have been in the history of the company. They're the best that they have ever been at this very day. My issue is with the business side of things. The people running the company and making the decisions. Not the products. And yes, I have two razors for both of my faces. <laughs> Oh, that's great. All right, Malcolm Reed is in the green room. I will talk to you quickly about Primo Grills. What do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they're fuel efficient. We love you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We love that you can get rip-roaring hot for high-temperature grilling of steaks and other thin cuts. But what's missing in the everyday ceramic lineup? The real ability to do true two-zone cooking. Two-zone cooking, very important to the to both professionals and backyards alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire and a round ceramic cooker, not very realistic. Why? Because it's round. And her Primo Grill and their game-changing oval design, the shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone cook-up, and it gives you the ability 
to achieve those ceramic grill benefits as well. Really, when you break it down, there's more than 60 different ways to cook on the Primo Cooker, so you're only limited by your culinary imagination. We all know the lift hinge has been out for a while, the top and bottom dampers are a game changer, but what about other accessories? We all love accessories with grills. They have a Primo Grill rotisserie accessory now, they have the pizza grill accessory, also a number of other ones like the rib rack and the half drip pan, just to name a few. Only sold through dealers, so find one near you by visiting primogrill.com. Visit the dealer, see everything that they have, see all the different sizes of ovals, and then pick the best one for you. Here's the bottom line, best ceramics in the biz, undoubtedly. Patented technology, of course. True two-zone cooking capabilities in multiple sizes. Yes and yes. And if you just have to have a round ceramic cooker, they have those as well. I'm telling you to really consider the oval because it's a game changer. True two-zone cook. Primogrill.com, the website. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. I am ready for a Primo, and I know you are now ready for a Primo as well. We're back with Malcolm Reed from How to Barbecue Right and the Pitmaster of Killer Hogs competition team. Next, stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic pit temperature control technology, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans and accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit bbqguru.com for more information or call them with questions, 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continuing to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. Guy Chisholm writing in through Facebook. The two razor blast was really good. You have to admit that. Undoubtedly, Guy. was one of my favorite blasts in recent memory going against me. Hey, it's the first Tuesday of a brand new month, entering in quarter number two of 2020, and we race to the hotline and welcome back friend of the show, Malcolm Reed. Hey, Malcolm. What's happening, Greg? Malcolm, do you have two razors when you shave both of your faces like I've been accused of? <laughs> oh, man. Now I've only got one. Well, good. There might be an old electric. Around somewhere, but I don't use it very much. Undoubtedly. Uh, we're talking with Malcolm Reed from How to Barbecue Right. You can find him, of course, at howtobbqright.com, or you can go to YouTube and search for him, and you will find his rapidly going, uh, growing channel, 1.39 million YouTube subscribers as of a day or two ago, so continuing to build those numbers and uh, reach a huge live fire audience that he's doing. So, Malcolm, the last couple months we've been doing what will be four months of backyard barbecue tutelage or a personal barbecue roundtable of sorts. We talked about brisket uh, last month. We talked about pork butt the month before that. And tonight we're going to talk all about chicken. As I mentioned in the open, if this was a competition roundtable, unless we were really dialing it into Texas, 
we'd really be talking about chicken thighs by and large, maybe a drumstick here or there, but I still think the common thought on competition barbecue at this point is chicken thighs. Do you still find that to be the the point that people are cooking? Yeah, man, that's pretty much what I still say. I know that's what I still cook. We've toyed around with the legs and you see them every once in a while, but 80, 90% of the people are cooking thighs. So tonight we're continuing with backyard stuff. So we'll be able to mess around with the whole bird here. We can talk about pieces, of course, but uh, a little bit more of a wider gamut of information that we can pass along here than it would be if we were talking about competition stuff. So let's start like we have the last couple months when we go into the store. Uh, what are we looking for for chicken? And I guess let's start with whole chickens first, and then we can break it down to some of the more uh, popular cuts like thighs or quarters. Yeah, m- I mean, most of the ones I see are, we only have really two or three brands in supermarkets. I mean, we're, I think chicken's really dependent on where you're at. Where you know, In Mississippi, there's a lot of Sanderson Farms chicken race, so we have a lot of those. And west of us, you got Tyson's and all that. But I'm always, I mean, I, I just look for those four or five pound birds. Um, um, you can't, I mean, I, I would imagine they come in frozen. I mean, it's very rare that fresh chicken just don't like, don't seem to last that long. So mm-hmm. most of the stuff I see is froze and uh, you know, I, I try to look for something with a pretty fresh date on it. I've had a lot of conversations over the years with competition guys and they really honed in on color of skin or thickness of skin in the backyard. Do you even consider that? Uh, is that things you will kind of look at, but it's not going to make an ultimate purchase decision for you? I mean, you definitely don't want to see all that, you know, the real yellow looking skin. I've always been told, and I don't know how true it is, that that's part of, you know, some of the antibiotics they give them or the feed coming through and it gets that yellow in color. And I, I usually look for something that's kind of got a white skin. I look for, for chicken that doesn't look too bloody in the pack. There's not a lot of moisture in it. I mean, um, you know, I'm not buying expensive chicken when I'm just cooking it in the backyard. It's, it's a different story in contest. You know, we want fresh, never frozen, you know, the, the, uh, best pieces we can get but here at home i'm just buying whatever's on sale most of the time have you ever messed around i mean i don't know if there's a wagyu version of chicken or a duroc version of chicken are there higher end i know like turkey wise you can get into that heritage breed turkey we've talked about here and there but what about chicken i mean you know so fresh market has their line of i think it's called bell and evans and you see the springer mountain and smart chicken things like that and most of that chicken is just, uh, it's supposed to be higher end. I guess it's raised better or something, but I know it costs more. I don't know. I mean, it's not, I would still say they're probably the same breeds. So after you get the chicken home, get it out of the packaging, what are you doing from a preparation standpoint? If you're going to cook a whole bird, how do you like to do it? Usually, I mean, I'm one of those, I don't, I don't rinse my chicken off in the sink. You know, everybody's probably seen it, but you, you, you spend more time, you know, cleaning up after yourself and you risk contamination more by trying to wash chicken off. A lot of times I'll put on gloves and I'll paper towel dry everything, try to get as much moisture off of it as I can. Uh, if I'm going on the grill, I like my skin, um, you know, to turn out. You, you're never going to get super crispy skin just putting it straight on the grill or on the smoker. But if you get that moisture off of it, you can get that skin to be really bite through and really be delicious by adding a little bit of light oil on the outside of it, you can get it to brown up more and to get a little crispy. So that's usually what I'm doing with it. Um, the biggest thing for chicken for me is cooking at higher temps. I mean, it, it makes 
you know, you don't want to cook t- chicken at 225 the whole time. It's just going to be rubber. You're not re- rendering that fat. You had mentioned about washing the chicken off. I had had Jess Pryles on the show. It's probably been six months ago when we first started talking about it, but she seemed to be making quite a stab at going on social media to find some really ridiculous posts, either on TikTok or Instagram, and then debunking them with her education that she's going, you know, meat science program or whatever she's in right now, and then trying to put out the right information instead of seeing people put out this weirdo stuff on the internet and all of a sudden people just take it as gospel. One of these things was washing chicken. In fact, four minutes before I go on, I was tagged in a Twitter post about somebody washing their chicken and they're tagging all these different people in here. And this is a pervasive thing. Like people think that washing chicken is somehow pasteurizing or uh, rinsing off the salmonella in their uh, sinks, like down the drain. But as you said, it just kind of sprays it all around and now you got it on the countertops and and everywhere else. So uh, I know you're not somebody that would recommend doing that here on this show. We are not advocators of washing your chicken or chicken pieces ever. As Malcolm said, get your paper towels and blot them dry and start your preparations from there. Injecting wise, Malcolm, are you uh, an injector at home ever? Um, usually I'll brine at home. If I, you know, brining is all about time and when chicken tends to do pretty well in it. I mean, whole chickens need to go a little longer, but if you're cooking individual pieces, they brine pretty fast. So I think you get more flavor that way. I mean, I have done some injecting, but I don't usually, if I'm just cooking at home, I'm not messing with mixing up an injection and, you know, and going through all that trouble. I can get all the flavor I want in it with a good soak. Brine wise, is it the typical salt, sugar and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, salt and sugar is a ratio, kind of the ratio you use. Usually I'll use about, depending on how much chicken I'm doing, a cup of sugar, half a cup of salt, and then I'll add some herbs, maybe some citrus, something like that in there. Um, you can even add some barbecue seasons in there. It gives it some good flavor. So it's pretty much just trying to, you know, chicken's super neutral. So you can put mm-hmm. flavor in the meat. It takes flavor really well, and a, and a brine works. When you get it out of the brine, I assume you go for the traditional pad off, dry it out. Do you then stick it in a refrigerator for X amount of time to really get the skin and everything else to dry out, or are you not that far into it? Absolutely. I, I use like a sheet pan with a raised rack, mm-hmm. and then you know, the way you can get air to circulate underneath the bird and just lay it in there and let it hang out for an hour or so. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. I mean, no more than two hours typically. It's dried pretty well. How far in advance of putting the chicken on the grill will you rub it? Um, usually I don't, I don't end up letting it set very long. I mean, you could, it's not going to hurt it any, but usually when I, when I take it out of the refrigerator and I've let it dry, or if I've just let it dry on the, on the countertop, I will put a little light coat of oil on it and season it up. And by the time I'm doing that, I'll go light my pit and it's good to go when the coals are ready. Uh, whole chicken wise, will you dump rub in the cavity or you stuff it with any aromatics or anything like that? Um, I have, it's not really... I don't know if you gain a whole lot from inside there just because the chicken cooks pretty fast whole, but what I found instead of letting it all lay kind of splayed out, if you'll tie it up, tuck the wings in and then cross the legs and use some butcher twine and kind of make a nice little neat package, you'll get more of an even cook on it. So your dark meat will stay juicy and your dry meat won't dry out too much. And it just works a little better if you make a tight package with it. Do you have a preference on keeping it whole like you're talking about or... Uh, doing a spatchcock or, or cutting the, the backbone out of the bird and doing it that way? 
Usually, it depends on what I'm using it for. If I'm going presentation or something like that, I might spatchcock it just because it looks cool. But if I'm just cooking whole chicken and I'm planning on pulling it, which I serve a lot of pulled chicken, um, I like to get all that meat off the back too, so I don't cut it off and throw it away. I mean, I try to use as much as I can, get it to, get that bird to yield as much meat as possible. There's some really good meat back there. I got a question from Dave's Got Beer watching via the Twitch stream, and he's asking about a dry brine for chicken. We know about it for steak and other cuts of beef. Uh, similar concept for chicken, do you think? Absolutely, it works. You do the same thing just for your drying out process. You go ahead and coat that bird with your barbecue seasonings and the salt and the sugars and the, and the rubs works the same way. Um, you, you, you know, you need to go a little longer than you would a wet, a wet brine to get it to work. So I've went overnight with them before. Mm -hmm. <coughs> uh, anything else in the cooking process that, or in the uh, prep process before we get into the cooking? Um, no, that's really about it for prep. Chicken prep is pretty easy, especially on whole birds. You know, you just want to get that skin dry. That's the, that's the key to getting it to turn out good. So if we're talking about pieces of specifically, let's say legs or either quarters or thighs uh, individually, anything that you're doing different when you're just dealing with pieces versus a whole bird? Um, I mean, you just know the time's going to be faster and they're going to cook anytime you split it up. Um, you know, barbecue leg quarters is a big thing in the South, and that's probably what I learned to cook the most on. Um, you know, we, we always treated them, get a good, you know, get a sear on them, get that fat rendered underneath the skin and get them over in the cooler zone on the fire or the smoker, let them do their thing till they get tender and them don't put your sauce onto the end. That's, that's the really, the, the best way to cook some leg quarters, but I don't, you know, I don't treat them a whole lot different from, you know, the way you do a whole bird, your time's just going to be a little faster. I feel like that's the underrated deal of chicken, chicken quarters. People kind of take a dump on them or perhaps they're not as keen to cooking chicken quarters and i know breast is always what you should be wanting to cook or people always seem to be reaching for a breast but uh i love chicken thighs but man you marry up chicken quarters that to me that is almost quintessential chicken barbecue to me it is that's what when you talk, when you talk about barbecue chicken that's what i think of yeah. i mean breast you don't it's very rare you say people just cooking you know, like bone-in, skin-on breast, barbecue style. It just doesn't happen because that white meat's so dense and it, it, dry, it wants to dry out. A lot of people overcook it. But those quarters, you can't hardly mess them up, man. You can run them up to 200 degrees almost internal, and they're still juicy, and the skin's right on them, all that flavors in that dark meat. All right, so let's get them over to the cooker here. Um, when we set it up, what are you running the temperature of your cooker at? When I, whenever I'm doing chicken, I'm always 275, 300 at least. You know, it's it's... I wouldn't say it's hot and fast, but it's on the hotter side of a low and slow cook because underneath that chicken skin, you've got that layer of fat and you've got to break that down. People talk about they have trouble getting their skin good on chicken. It's because they hadn't broke it down enough. It hadn't rendered that fat. So at those temperatures, 300 degrees right in that range, it wants to, it wants to go ahead and melt and it makes it, you know, really moist, really juicy on the inside, but you get that skin where it'll bite through and it really, it really helps to have those temperatures a little higher. So that's typically, if I'm on a smoker, I'm always going to be running right in that range. If I'm on a grill, I'm going to set it up like a two-zone fire. So if a Weber kettle or something like that, I'm going to have me a hot side where I can, you know, get some of that fat rendered and have me a zone to where I can move it over to get it away from the direct fire to finish it out. Will you run one of those remote probes or some kind of remote thermometer in order to see how it's cooking, or you just take a thermopen to it every once in a while just to check? Usually on the larger pieces, like if I'm cooking a whole chicken, I'm going to watch that internal temperature. 
um, pretty much the whole time. I mean, I usually don't stick it in right away, but when I'm first checking it, peeking in there and checking out, I'll go ahead and stick it in uh, when it gets up over, you know, 100, 120 degrees, something like that. But chicken is something that I always, I mean, I'm critical on internal temperatures on chicken. Never want to get anybody sick. And it's really, you know, it's if any meat you're going to have it happen to, it's going to be poultry. They just, you know, carry, I guess, the different bacteria that, that people tend to get sick off of. So I, I'm 165 in the breast at least, dark meat 175. But if I'm just cooking dark meat like those quarters or like thighs at a contest or even good eating thighs at home, man, I'm probably running those up, you know, over north of 190. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm Reed joining us here on the show, talking all about chicken in the backyard from a wood smoke additive. Uh, what do you like to use for smoke on the chicken? Pecan's probably my number one. I, I stay away from the harsh stuff, and you know, I'm not really running a lot of hickory or you know something a little harder, like oak or something like that. But fruitwood works. Um, I don't use much cherry when I'm doing chicken because if you notice, cherry brings out that smoke ring a lot. And when people see anything pink on chicken, they automatically assume it's underdone. You know, it's raw. And I've had you know even in contests, we've had judges gig us for you know, seeing that pink, that smoke ring reaction in chicken, and you don't want that. You want, you know, so I, I don't think you risk it as much with pecan wood, but apple's a good choice. Uh, peach isn't bad, but, any, you know, chicken's neutral, so it can take on some flavors and some smoke. Are you a pan guy when you're cooking chicken, or you just put them on the rack? At home, I'm just going straight on the rack. I'm not cooking in butter and all that stuff like we do in contest. I like that flavor that the that the grill or the smoker gives it. And I want to get my skin, you know, good and bite through, grill crispy kind of. And I think, you you know, you take away from that when you cook it in a pan, in the juice or in a, in a fat. It just takes away from it. And it gets good and tender, but you take away from some of that flavor that you get from just being straight over the coals or, or right on the rack. Spritzer or a mopper during chicken or not so much? Um, Not so much, really. I mean, I've. And I've played around depending on what style of chicken I'm cooking. I might, you know, make a little, a little mop for it or something like that. And usually it's kind of vinegary, citrus based, but and, you know, some herbs and seasonings, things like that. But most of the time, man, I'm just running it. Just uh, if I do anything, I will spray it um, with a little cooking sprayer, duck fat, because it helps that skin uh, brown up more. And I re- really like that. But uh, basting it with a little butter works the same way. When you're cooking the whole bird, are you just taking it up to normal FDA temperatures, one you know sixty five in the breast, uh, one eighty in the in the dark meat, or at least getting it to a point where you think the carryover is going to get it into the safe zones, or you mess around with it differently? Usually, I'm I've got that probe thermometer in there, and I'm looking for you know up north of one sixty because I know I'm going to get some carryover on the whole bird. Yeah, but you know I want that breast to be one sixty five, and when I pull that probe out, I want that juice to be clear. You don't want to, you know, you don't need to have any color to it at all. Um, the thighs, the thighs and legs should be there. They're, they're usually, you know, on a, on a bird that size, they're already there too. So I go by thickest part of the breast. When it hits, that whole bird's usually done. And usually I just let it rest for 15, 20 minutes or so before I carve it up. Welcome, Don Tony's Garage, watching via Facebook, wants you to comment on beer can chicken. Do you like to make beer can chicken meathead of course is known for saying that you're really not doing any type of service to the bird and it's actually more of a danger to anything else because you're sticking some kind of an insulator up there because the water never gets to boiling anyway uh, your thoughts on beer can chicken 
I like the vertical rack, and my rack has a place for a can, and usually I stick some beer in it. I don't think you get a whole lot of flavor from it. I don't know if the moisture adds anything to it, but I think a, a chicken does cook good vertical, and it looks, it presents way better sitting there because if it's laying on its back, it's building up moisture inside that cavity, um, you know, and the backside of the chicken doesn't look good, but when it's on the rack, you can spin it around. You can baste all of it if you want to. You can make it golden brown or get, a, get your rub coverage all over the outside. So I think there's a place for it. I do use them all the time. When you are done cooking the chicken, we talk about hold times, probably with every other meat. Any hold time here, or is it just whatever you're collecting to put on the dinner table to eat with sides, and then away you go? Usually I give it, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I mean, you don't have to, but, you know, that cooking process on that chicken, especially we've had higher temps, we've pushed a lot of moisture out to the surface. And so if you cut right into it and it never fails, if somebody's broke down a whole chicken so as it comes off the pit, all your juice is going to run all over that board. But if you'll let it sit there and just calm down a little bit, uh, one, it's going to carry over so you know you're getting it done, but those juices will kind of calm down and, you know, they'll redistribute back out through the meat and you won't lose as much moisture carving it up if you'll just let it hang out. So I'm a firm believer in holding stuff. If you want more barbecue information, please get over to Malcolm's YouTube immediately. Go to YouTube.com, then search for Malcolm Reed or How to BBQ Right, or visit the website, HowToBBQRight.com. It's Malcolm Reed. Now we've knocked down three months' worth of food, and next month it will be ribs. Malcolm, always appreciate the time, my friend. Hey, thanks, Greg. Man, we didn't get into wings. That's my favorite thing. Maybe that's a whole new show. Oh, that Wings, <laughs> definitely a show on its own, no doubt about it, because I know... Wings are your jam. So uh, we'll get into that after we do the ribs. Hi, man. Have a good one, Greg. I'll see you in May. All right. There he is, Malcolm Reed, right there. And we will do a wings roundtable because wings are almost a whole separate, well, not almost. They are a separate chicken category. But as far as popularity, wings are the best. Love chicken wings. My smoke roasted chicken wings with the original Anchor Bar wing sauce are legend. Just ask me and everybody that's ever eaten them. Cleve Oynes is in the green room. We'll get to him here in just one second as we get ready to talk about the pepper cannon. I'll talk to you quickly about Yoder Smokers designing and building all of their products right here in the USA and building pride through craftsmanship and world-class customer service. That's the backbone of how they've built the company This approach translates into what can be a truly bespoke-style product that elevates gatherings with friends and family. Honored to have a trusted place in the backyards of America, from pellet grills to wood-fueled offset pits and charcoal grills, consistent blue ribbon flavor has become synonymous with the Yoder Smoker's name. Make no mistake, Yoder Smoker's flavor-driven design is unique to each style of pit, and their team has developed their cookers to perform time and time again while outlasting the competition for generations to come. It's this generational thought that's rooted in the handmade products and defines integrity of the core values. American-made quality and endless flavor are the benchmarks of Yoder Smokers. Visit Yodersmokers.com and grab yours today. That's Yodersmokers.com. We are back to talk Pepper Cannon right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show.
Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets. For all the pellet-driven cookers out there, visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase or to see what other great products they have to add a little layer of smokiness to whatever it is you're cooking. That's CookinPellets.com. On your dinner table, there's a really good chance that you have both a salt and pepper shaker. Some of you might fancy the pepper side up a bit and use a pepper mill of some type. And some of you might really understand pepper and choose to use the pinnacle of pepper milling because you are sick of mediocrity and that thing is called the pepper cannon. Here to talk about the cannon, why it's the best pepper mill on the market, and why you will happily shell out 200 bucks for the privilege of using it is the founder of Man Kitchen. We race to the hotline and welcome first-timer to the show, Cleve Oynes. Hey, Cleve. Hey, thanks for having me. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you just fine, and we appreciate you making time for the show here this evening. So before we jump into the pepper cannon here in just a few moments, Cleve, let's get a quick background on you prior to Man Kitchen and the pepper cannon. What were you into professionally, and where do you currently reside? Sure. So I'm originally from Alaska, and now I reside in Seattle. And before I worked on in before I founded Man Kitchen, I worked in e-commerce for a number of years. Got fired and panicked and sent out my resume and went to a bunch of interviews. And my wife said, Cleve, you've been wanting to do your own e-commerce thing for a long time. Start that instead. She had she had a lot of faith in me, which I'm very grateful for. And that was the beginning of Man Kitchen. That was back in 2017. So yeah, a few years now. E-commerce sounds like it's your niche or niche. Did you have products already in the mind hopper? to fill that goal with yeah yeah so my first product actually it wasn't the pepper can and it was the uh it was a spatula i cook a lot on cast iron and have since i was very young and um i had a spatula that i really liked and it started to fail on me so i googled best spatula for cast iron and everyone was talking about wood and bamboo and silicone and plastic and that hadn't been my experience i like a straight edge metal spatula and i couldn't find a great one so i made one that was my first product this is a live fire based show for the most part. We'll dabble into some other items every now and again. Are you a guy that's into barbecue and grilling to any degree? I am. Yeah, I, I'm. I would be a novice compared to you guys, but uh, I do enjoy it. All right, Cleve. Um, for the life of me, I don't know anyone that has ever told me that they have had enough of crappy pepper mills and they were going to set out to remedy that issue. But you did. Why? Yeah. Well, gosh, almost four years ago now, I guess it would be, I was making tri-tip and I used one of those Kirkland signature. I'd, I'd gone through a bunch of pepper mills, you know, they tend to fail. So I was buying those single use ones that you can get at grocery stores and, you know, the Trader Joe's one I used and the, and the Kirkland one from Costco I used. And I was getting so frustrated with it that I started counting the cranks. And I counted over 60 cranks to do a single tri-tip. And I was like, you know, this this process has got to be improvable. So at first I tried to, um, I looked at what other companies were doing. There's a great mill out there that a lot of people have heard of called the Unicorn Magnum. That's my second favorite mill still. I tried to steal their 
their burst set because that's kind of the magic in, in pepper mills. That's where the work happens is the burst set and the company in Italy, they're like, no, we won't sell it to you. We've got an exclusive with, with unicorn. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was two years from when I started working on it to when I launched the pepper cannon on, uh, on Kickstarter. What part of the pepper mill were lacking in your opinion? And then how, of course, does the pepper cannon fix those issues? Yeah. So a number of frustrations with traditional mills. Uh, if you've ever fiddled with that little nut on the top of like the Peugeot ones that always falls off and rolls beneath the fridge or somewhere inaccessible and you get your elbows greasy trying to dig it out, um, having an adjuster that is twist adjust when you're twisting the mill so it's constantly losing its adjustment. Uh, Consistency is a big issue. That that burr and drive shaft on most traditional mills just kind of wobbles and gives you really inconsistent grinds. Um, the filling, the adjusting, a lot of mills suffer from adjuster creep where you set it in one spot and by the time you use it three or four times, it's at a completely different setting. Um, and then the main thing being the output. You know, having to crank 70 times for a tri-tip was not something that I enjoyed. So yeah, the pepper cannon does it in seven instead of 70. My favorite parts, by the way, uh, for those that didn't see the unboxing video that I did, and I'm going to flash some pictures up here. Uh, Cleve sent me one a uh, handful of weeks ago. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a skeptical guy by nature when it comes to certain things. And I'm trying to wrap my head around why would I care about a pepper mill? That seems to be what most people would consider to be a commodities item. As you talk about, you can go to the grocery store, you can buy a throwaway one when it's out of peppercorns, toss it away, and you almost don't think twice. It's almost like you're fooled into believing that there really is no better option out there. In fact, the way that I thought it was better, and it wasn't better, is when the tool at the fancy-schmancy restaurant brought out the seven-foot pepper mill wood pepper mill that would give you a concussion if he hit you in the head with it by accident and he's like reaching five feet over and cranking the pepper all the way up but really in in essence you're you're getting what you pay for here this is a pepper mill you might never have to mess around with again yeah yeah that's uh those those fancy ones at the restaurants or i think that's primarily so that they don't have their hands over your food but yeah it's the same basic <laughs> commodity burr sets inside a inside a longer stick of wood so the pepper cannon is all metal it's milled from a solid chunk of aluminum and anodized so it's got good grip on it um it's easy to clean and yeah it's built to last it's also got this really unique um so i'm showing for the people that are listening in audio podcast you'll have to go back to the video and scrub into this portion. Um, we have a nice picture of it sitting here on my stove. And this is like complete unit, but on the very bottom, that uh, that bottom eighth or whatever, that's a removable cup that you can A, use as a measuring cup. I believe it's a, a third of a cup uh, for pepper. And then uh, if I forward over here, the, this is what it looks like, obviously, with the bottom removed. But you can see right there, you got a little thumb twist to go a finer one direction and then more coarse in the opposite direction. And I think the key for me is uh, a being able to have the ability to get different grinds. What I quickly realized with the one that I had been using that nut that I was loosening to fill it. I also thought that was the, uh, the, the grind uh, calibrator and no, that was not a grind calibrator. So it just held the top down onto that screw <laughs> a little bit more. So I, I learned something very quickly there. 
So having the the grind or, or the ability to go fine or coarse is very nice. Having that cup on the bottom is very convenient as well. Um, there's an interesting oh, the other thing that's the best, right? This thing has got the the push button top. The top just slides right off in about an eighth of a second. You can fill it back up, slam the top back on. In like five seconds, literally five seconds, you can have this thing refilled. I don't even think you can get the nut off of a normal one in five seconds. Yeah, with a satisfying metallic click, yes. right? Yes, it's, it's very tactile. It's uh, satisfying uh, audibly. So the things that I certainly appreciate being a sound guy as well. You know, there's an interesting tie back here to a previous guest I've had on the show, Cleve, um, which we'll get to here in a second. But tell us how you originally launched this concept in order to get it to market. Sure. Yeah. So this was actually my second crowdfunding project. I did a chef's knife a year before I did the pepper cannon. And I learned a lot on that one, namely what not to do in, in many circumstances. Uh, so my second one, I attended something put on by LaunchBoom called the Crowdfunded Academy. And I, I didn't go through their their pre-launch process. I, I was on a shoestring budget. So I shot everything myself in my in my house with a cheap camera and cheap lights and cheap microphone and sent it off to a good friend of mine in Canada. And he's the one who kind of turned the video into something that that worked. But it was a very very shoestring budget. And until I pressed go on the Kickstarter, I had no idea whether there would be any market because like you said, nobody thinks a pepper mill should cost more than 50 bucks. Why would it, right? Everyone that they've seen has been that or less. So it was a big, it was a risk. And uh, I had a great marketing partner in the Kickstarter called Jellup. They helped me with both of them. They did a fantastic job on the Kickstarter. And then when I transitioned to Indiegogo, I hired uh, I hired LaunchBoom that that they are the ones that put on the crowdfunded academy and they did a fantastic job uh, managing ads. So it was the same same content as the Kickstarter. We just moved it over to Indiegogo and then they ran ads and did a did a fantastic job. How do you land on that two hundred dollar price point? Why that? Why not one hundred and fifty bucks or three hundred and twenty eight dollars? Why two hundred or one ninety nine? Yeah, n- n- nice round number. And you've got to build in, you know, a, a lot of people fail in crowdfunding and in business following fa- following crowdfunding because they're trying to do that race to the bottom. You know, they think if they can produce something for a hundred bucks, they can sell it for 110 and, and win the market. And that it doesn't work that way. You've got to, you've got to budget in for your marketing. Otherwise you can have the best product in the world and nobody will ever hear about it. So on the Kickstarter, it was 149 on the Indiegogo, it was 159, and then MSRP is 199. Uh, as I mentioned a few moments ago, you've alluded to it here in a couple of your answers. Uh, the tieback on the show was I had done an interview with one of the co-founders of Launch Boom, Will Ford, and uh, as you had mentioned, you're working with them now. In what way are they helping you keep the momentum and success of the Peppermill going? Yeah. So unlike many of their previous clients, I was already, you know, I had mankitchen.com up and running before, but it was, it was pretty meager. The bulk of my business was on Amazon. So after the crowdfunding and this was, so we launched the Kickstarter November 4th of 2020. It ran for 30 days and then we immediately moved it to Indiegogo. And this whole time I'm thinking, okay, maybe it'll go 30 days. I expected it to taper off in sales. And I kept having to add to my initial order with the factory and I ended up placing four additional orders and it ran until October. So it just kept going and going and going. And a lot of that is the testament to the people who received their cannons and then went and ordered more of them as gifts for people because 
I mean, you, you, you've experienced it. You're used to using a pepper mill and it feels a one way and you expect it to be that way. And then you just take the pepper cannon out of the box and it's a different, it's a different experience. The thing that I guess I'm learning the most, uh, aside from being able to dial in the grind that I want, and that can be different from one dish to the next, of course, depending on what kind of texture I want in my mouth is I do have to think about how much I'm actually going to turn the head of that thing. Because if you go three times and you don't know how much pepper is actually going to come out of there, where three times on a normal one, you still probably have seven or eight or 10 more cranks to go to get where you want. Three might be too much. So that's a little bit of a learning curve. Yeah. Well, and you make a very good point on the grind size too. There's average mills can produce, they, they do in like the 15 mesh up to about 30 mesh. And whereas like if you buy pre-ground white pepper, it'll be a 60 mesh, uh, super fine powder. You can't get that out of most standard mills. So the pepper cannon, in addition to being faster, you can get it super fine. And then if you go super coarse, like cracked pepper, uh, one full crank is over a tablespoon. So you can do a brisket very, very quickly if you really want it to put out, you know, butcher grind or cracked pepper. And most mills, they, they can't get there. They stay in that, that middle range. You've talked about the spatula. We obviously know about the pepper cannon now substantially and the knife. Uh, any other products on Man Kitchen that you are either currently selling or you have in the products hopper? Yeah, we do uh, We do the best spatula for cast iron. That was my initial product. And then we added on the Smashburger spatula, you know, wider, a little bit thicker, heavier gauge, a grill spatula to go along with it, an apron that's actually thick enough that you can use it to hold a, a skillet handle that's hot from the stove and adjust it. Um, an oven mitt for people with big mitts, you know, essentially the products that man kitchen have are a little off the wall because it's, they're things that I've been annoyed with as I, as I cook and I go, Oh, we can make this a little bit better. So it's kind of an eclectic collection, but yeah, there's a, there's quite a few things on there. And then just in the last few months, I began importing pepper from, uh, Kampot, Cambodia. Cause I figured if, if you're going to have a very, very good pepper meal, you should have very, very good pepper to go along with it. Most people are, are, you know, they're grinding a pepper mill that may have had peppercorns put in it two years ago and mm. not realizing that stuff does have a, it, it goes stale, makes a big difference. Manufacturing wise, when you're putting in these orders and then adding on additional orders, was there ever a point where the manufacturer would come back to you because of pandemic times and said, hey, Cleve, we're short on these grinders or short on these tops. Were there any parts issues that you had to contend with? Constant parts issues, oh. constant transport issues, constant border issues. I don't know if you remember when there was that big uh, uh, container ship stuck sideways in the in the canal. Yep. My boat wasn't that one, but it was about <laughs> 50 boats behind in that line. So that was a container ship going to, to Europe to fulfill uh, the European and uh, North African Middle East orders from the from the Kickstarter. So yeah, it was it was constant, and from the beginning to the end of the of the campaigns, um, material costs went up, transport costs basically tripled moving a container. So yeah, it was, it was a, uh, I have, I'm very thankful for the patience of the people. You know, there's some of the best customers you can get are on crowdfunding because they've been kind of trained by bad campaigns that sometimes they'll, you know, they'll put their blood, sweat and tears and money out there and then never get their thing. Right. Or wait two or three or four years. So, they're very patient, very forgiving, and I needed I needed every bit of that for the campaign. Were you in a position of having to go back and adjust pricing or um, some orders you made 
better margin on than others because you know it was this way a number of months ago and then all of a sudden two three months later the price just went up 25 or 30 percent you had nothing to do about it yeah no i didn't i didn't have to charge any customers more there were some cases where you know shipping ends up being two hundred dollars for <laughs> for something that they paid 159 for and it's like it just gets batched and sent out with the rest of it and we tried to catch most of them and you know see if we could sort something out but yeah there was a lot of them that we that we lost money on but that's you know that's the nature of the beast there people have been patient with me and they were they were going to get their thing if i could get it to them uh this is cleve oinus and we've been talking about the pepper cannon so if you are really into pepper and you want to have the last pepper mill that you will ever need. And there's a good chance you can pass it down to your kids if they're interested in pepper too. And uh, they'll probably use it at the dinner table like mine are. Uh, go to mankitchen.com. And if you got a favorite kid. Right. I mean, this is, this is a way to separate the bad kids from the rest of the kids. Or <laughs> yeah, the good kid from the rest the of the kids. The That's right. No doubt. Uh, go to mankitchen.com. It's M-A-N-N, mankitchen.com. And check out the products that he's got. Cleve, really appreciate the time this evening. Thanks so much for coming up. Thanks for having me. You got it. There he is, Cleve Oynes from Man Kitchen. And yeah, a little bit outside the box conversation on what pepper milling, but just want to make sure you guys are in the spotlight, that you have the knowledge of all this stuff that's out there and uh, nobody appreciates good pepper like I do. And if that's your bag, something you want to consider, uh, mankitchen.com. Uh, Emery Plessinger is writing in right here. So clearly the show is one big infomercial because all guests are promoting nothing to do with traditional barbecue. Emery, what are you talking about? Do you not know who Malcolm Reed is? What was he promoting? Dope. Promoting how to cook chicken in the backyard traditionally on a cooker was pepper cannon traditional barbecue no but clearly you're not familiar with the show so i would suggest this tune out now do that before i ban you from the internet and then go back and listen to all 1007 of my previous shows pull up all the traditional barbecue content you want then come back next tuesday and then send me your apology directly after that But thank you for tuning in and chipping in your two cents, Emery. Hey, let me talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills. That's right. Min Musman, no one ever uses pepper on barbecue. Never. Green Mountain Grills. Pellet cookers, you know it. Absolutely couple different lines to choose from if you're so inclined a choice line one size that daniel or davy cry daniel boone if you want a different size than that prime line peak and ledge now all of these different lines will accommodate that pizza oven insert so if you want high heat pizza experience you can rip the guts out of the cooker and then toss some neapolitan style pies in there Every Friday night could be pizza night. Everybody making their own pizzas, all done in a couple minutes or so, depending on what you're running the temperature at. You can go to GreenMountainGrills.com and find a dealer near you, like the Primos. Green Mountain Grills only sold through dealers. So, all you have to do 
is go to the dealer near you, get educated, buy the size that's best for you, buy the tech that's best for you, and you'll have success right out of the box. That's the Choice Line or the Prime Line. If you want something that's a little bit more portable, you're thinking about tailgating season coming up the fall, or you're going to be one of those softball dads or moms going out starting as early as the next couple months, and then through the summer, of course. I know I've done it. Take that Trek with you. You can use the battery clips to power it. You can plug it into the 12-volt receptacle in your car. Fits in the back of most trucks, vans, and SUVs, all Pella-driven. You're going to love it. GreenMountainGrills.com is the place to go. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant, you're in luck. Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. That's Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, Fireboard 2 Pro, and the Fireboard Spark. Don't forget the Spark. Spark's awesome. My newest bestie for the rest, the Emery, is writing back in. Malcolm Reed and I are friends. He has some great recipes. No, you're not. Malcolm and I are friends. Just because you watch his YouTube videos, Emery, and you stalk him on the worldwide internet, doesn't mean you're friends with him. It does not. Andrew, you are not. (laughs) Doesn't mean you're friends with him. It means I'm friends with him. Because I'm friends with him, you have the privilege of listening him disseminate his barbecue information. That's what that means. All right, we have a second hour that's still to come up. I want to thank Cleve Oynes from Man Kitchen, M-A-N-N, Man Kitchen, talking about that pepper grinder, the pepper cannon. He's talking about people giving that thing for Christmas and holiday gifts. That's somebody you really like. Let's say this. This year, Emery, if you get a pepper cannon from me, just assume that I really like you. You're on the tops of the list. No doubt. All right. We are pointing to the second hour. Go ahead and refresh your libations as we will talk with Sam the Cooking Guy and Clarence Joseph. Amongst many other topics here in the second hour, you're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back.